0: So we're back in the book of 1 Thessalonians this week and we're looking at chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. Before I read, I'll just remind you of what happened in chapter 1, uh, verses, uh, verses 1 to 10. So if you're in the church Bible, that's one, page number 1187 and the larger print is page 1835. So last time in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, we saw that Paul was rejoicing over the faith of the Thessalonians. He was confident that they had true saving faith because they had believed the true gospel and had responded in the right way. Their lives had changed. God had transformed them. Paul was writing chapter 1 to give encouragement to the Thessalonians that they were the real thing. They were real Christians. They believed the right gospel and responded rightly. Paul thanks God for them in chapter 1. So now we'll read chapter 2, verses, verses 1 to 12. Let me find that. So chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. You know, brothers and sisters... ...that our visit to you was not without results. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know. But with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. For For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God... To be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trained to please people, but God who tests our hearts. You know we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else. Even though as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority. Instead, we were like young children among you. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you because we loved you so much. We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. You are witness and so is God, of how holy, righteous and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with you each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting and urging you to live lives worthy of the gospel, the God, worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. So back about 10 years ago, I had the privilege of going to Blackpool. Uh, the venue was the Winter Gardens. And at the Winter Gardens, I went to hear an evangelist talk about, the testament, about his testimony of how God had changed his life. At the time, I was around about 14 or 15 years old, and I wasn't actually converted. And after hearing the testimony, I thought, whoa, that, that was powerful. He spoke of how Jesus had transformed his life from a fighter and doing many serious crimes. This man went up and down the country, sharing this message, what Jesus had done in his life. Crowds and crowds of people flocked to hear his message. There were many people converted through it, and also Christians were encouraged uh, to hear his testimony. This man wrote books and sold over a million copies. And he went into schools and was a sought-after man. Yet in 2013, this man was proved to be a fake. The amazing transformation didn't actually happen. He possibly is a Christian, who knows? But the story he spoke about was false. Most of the things he said were not true. They didn't happen. His goal of preaching was built on deception and a desire To be well known. In today's passage, we see a contrast in the Apostle Paul's ministry. He has a sincere ministry, and we can learn so much of his faithful service to God in today's Bible reading. Today's passage comes in the middle of two passages where Paul thanks God. So you see, in chapter 1, verse 2, Paul thanks God for the salvation that has been given to these Thessalonians. And then after this this passage, in chapter 2, verse 13, Paul again picks up his thanksgiving. So the question we have this morning is, why did Paul include chapter 2, verses 1 to 12, about his authentic ministry in the middle of thanking God? Paul outlined in chapter 1 that God had been at work and brought salvation to these Thessalonians. So Paul thanks God. And then again in chapter 2, verse 13, he picks up this thanksgiving. I think Paul does this to highlight the point that yes, God is sovereign. Yes, God saves and transforms his people. But God does this through the means of his faithful people. We know that we can't save anyone. We know that we can't change people's hearts. But what can we do today as Christians. On the outside of this passage, Paul thanks God for what God has done. And in this passage, Paul outlines his own faithful ministry. The text tells us: even though God is sovereign and in control of everything, we as Christians have a responsibility. And that responsibility is to be a faithful servant of Christ. Think of Think of, uh, There we go. So, so how can we be a faithful servant of Christ? Paul gives us three traits in this passage that is essential to being a faithful servant of Jesus. So firstly, have the right motives. Verses 1 to 6. So Paul tells us in verse 4, the motive for his ministry. We are not trying to please people, but God. In verse 1 and 2, Paul outlines his coming to the Thessalonians. He tells them that his coming was not in vain or without results. Paul's visit to Thessalonica was a fruitful one where God used him. God worked through Paul. But Paul tells in verse 2 about his suffering he endured in Philippi. And the opposition he faced in Thessalonica. After and then after they were um, and in Acts Acts 16 you can read about Paul's journey to Philippi. Paul and Silas were stripped and beaten for preaching the word of God, and then they were put in prison. And after they were after they were released from prison, they went to Thessalonica. They obeyed Jesus' command from Matthew 10:23. When they persecute you in this city flee into the next but why was Paul so keen to preach the gospel even though he had suffered so much and got opposed everywhere he went why was his desire so great to preach the gospel if you look at verse 2 Paul talks of the help of God and other translations put it we had boldness in our God Paul believed that God is sovereign Paul believed that God saves people through the gospel. Paul believed that the Holy Spirit takes the word of God and applies it to the sinner's heart. Paul believed that the gospel was and is the power of God. Therefore, Paul goes out and he preaches the gospel in the midst of much suffering and opposition because he knows he's working unto the Lord, so his labor is not in vain. In verse 3 and 4, Paul builds on verses 1 and 2. He starts verse 3 with a 4, which which here means because. Back here in Thessalonica, there there was lots of people who would come and use trickery and deceit to gain honor and get a crowd for their selfish ambition. Paul rejects those possibilities for his ministry. Instead, verse 4, Paul says, "...we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel." We are not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. Paul clearly shows his motives are to please God because even though he suffers much in Philippi, he continues to preach the gospel in Thessalonica. Paul is convincing the Thessalonians, why would I suffer so much opposition preaching the gospel if I was doing it for myself? Why would I go through all that pain and struggle if I was doing it for my own glory. Before summer of 2021, there were many holiday companies trying to get people to book holidays again. And in in advertisement, they would say something like, package holidays you can trust, or money back if your holiday is canceled. The holiday companies would say this so that people would know their money is safe and they wouldn't fear losing out. The holiday companies wanted people to trust them so that they would book a holiday. In a similar way, Paul wants the Thessalonians to be assured that he is the genuine servant. They can trust his words. He is about pleasing God, not out for selfish ambition. And then uh, if you look at the end of verse 4, God who tests our hearts. Paul directs the Thessalonians to God. God knows the motives. People can see the actions, but we can't always see the motives. Paul's desire is to please the one to whom everything is exposed. Paul appeals to this, that God sees his true heart as he brought the gospel to Thessalonica. Paul's motives had been criticized, though, in uh, Acts 16, 20 to 21, the opponents of Paul and his company, Paul and Silas, said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. And then he was also criticized in Thessalonica in Acts 17 verse 6. It tells us that the opponents of Paul talked about Paul and co saying, these men who have caused trouble all over the world have, come, have now come here. Though Paul was condemned by people, he was approved of by God. This is what matters to Paul. Pleasing God was Paul's underpinning motive. And Paul continues in verse five and six. He's not seeking to gain money or praise from people. Again, Paul appeals to God as his witness, the one who sees all things. And Paul also points out to the Thessalonians that they know this. If you look at verse 5, he says, you know. Paul's motives aren't from error or impurity or to trick people. And Paul's motives aren't to gain money or praise from people. No, Paul, verse 4, as his motives displayed as, I am here to please God. And Paul claims his motive is to please God, not only with his lips, but also his life. Paul, Paul was in his ministry to please God. That was Paul's absolute motive. The reason Paul kept going was because he wasn't doing it for people. He wasn't doing it for financial gain or selfish ambition. But Paul was doing it so that God would be praised and honored. Paul's desire was to please God, and for Paul that meant opposition opposition all over Europe, all over Israel. Wherever he went with the gospel, he received opposition. For Paul to please God meant speaking the gospel while being treated outrageously. We too are called to please God in our everyday living, obviously. But here Paul is talking specifically about pleasing God in his evangelism. Our context is different to the Apostle Paul's, But his desire for pleasing God should be a massive challenge to us all. I wonder, do your school friends know you go to church? Do your college friends know you come here each Sunday? Do your work colleagues know you are a Christian? Let's say tomorrow if we were to ask the people who you spend each week with, we were to ask them about you, would being a Christian be something they know about? Do you hide your faith from those outside of church? Often people we see on a Monday morning ask, how was your weekend? Is the bit about church left out from your answer? These questions are to challenge us, not to crush us. These questions are to detect whether we are seeking to please God or people. These questions help us see our true inward heart desires. Our natural desire is to say nothing and be at ease. But we are, pl- we are called to please God who tests our hearts. Today, I use somebody who needs to be more intentional about pleasing God over people. I encourage us all to, to step out. Even though we may fear, God will help us. If we stumble through our words proclaiming Jesus... God sees our hearts. God calls us to be faithful. We won't do it perfectly, but God calls us to tell others about Jesus. When it, when it comes to evangelism, the, the start can be the, the hardest point. There seems to be an invisible wall of fear that stops us speaking out. But Once we step over that, that wall of fear, by faith, with God's help, it can become easier. There's a freedom to stepping out. And once you've stepped out, it becomes more natural. So I urge us all at school, college, work with our neighbors, be intentional about sharing our faith. Let them know you're a Christian. Share the glorious gospel of Jesus so that in the coming years we may see our friends, our family, our work colleagues here in the church praising Jesus because we have stepped out in faith to share the gospel. God calls us to be a light to the lost. This is a privilege, not a burden. We're able to tell others how to receive life, how to be right with God, how to be saved. God is with you at school, at college, at work. He's with you when you talk to your neighbors and he calls you to be faithful. He's there to help you and strengthen you and use you. God has chosen you and me to be a gospel witness wherever he has placed us. As we go into this week, let our motives be to please God over people. Because when our motives are right, our actions usually follow. Paul sought to please God in evangelism because he knew God's opinion matters most. Let us remind ourselves daily of that, that God's opinion matters most but because paul's motive was to please god it didn't mean he just treated people however he wanted and didn't really care for people no paul sought to love those he came in contact with think secondly if we want to be a faithful servant of jesus have the right manner verses 7 to 12 have the right manner Manner is how how we go about doing things. This passage links to our relationship with people. Paul tells us in verses 1 to 6, he wasn't doing it for fame, financial gain, or praise from people, but he was doing it to please God. Paul outlines his manner in verses 7 to 12. And Paul's manner was to love the Thessalonians. To be a faithful follower of Jesus, we need to love our church family. Paul starts by saying in verse 7, We were like young children among you. This most likely is translated as gentle. Paul and his team came to the Thessalonians as gentle. They didn't come asserting their authority and demanding, but instead Paul comes among them. Then Paul goes on in verse 7, Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Just Think about that. Paul is comparing his manner towards the Thessalonians as a mother and baby sort. Think Think of a mother and a baby. What does that involve? Many of you will know that includes constant attention. It means looking out for the baby when they might come into danger. It means being devoted to the baby, sleepless nights. It means always being around the baby, never leaving the baby. This is how Paul viewed his relationship with the Thessalonians. But why was that Paul's attitude? Notice notice verse 8, because he loved them so much. It was Paul's delight to share not only the gospel, but also his life. He was with them, among them, sharing his life because this was Paul's delight. Paul wasn't like a tradesman, someone who wants to finish the job and tick the box. they quickly onto the next house. Now, after Paul had spoken the gospel to these people, he stayed with them until he got torn away. He wanted to share his life with them because they'd become dear to him. If Paul was around today, Paul would be somebody willing to visit the congregation. Paul would be willing to meet up for a coffee and a walk. Paul would help those who are struggling. Paul would be ready, he'd be ready for a phone call if you needed something. Paul wanted to share his life with these people because he loved them. We see from verses 7 to 8, Paul wasn't doing this for duty, praise from men, financial gain, but because he delighted to do it. These Thessalonians are like Paul's children. He loves them. He cares for them. He wants to spend time with them. We see here, Paul outlines the most effective way of church life. Notice verses 1 to 6, Paul emphasizes he's not trying to get anything from them. But instead, verse 8, he wants to give to them. Firstly, the gospel. Secondly, his very life. Paul's life, church life isn't about getting. It's about giving and giving yourself. Jesus said it is better to give than receive. Paul isn't bothered about himself. He just wants these Thessalonians to grow as infants of Christ. I think sometimes we we view church, we go to church thinking, what can I get? How can this help me? How will this impact my life? But church is the body of Christ coming together to praise God and encourage one another in the faith. We do get much out of church, but in Hebrews Chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, it says, And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. We are called to encourage one another. That starts with being here, obviously as long as we are physically Able. Paul sought to share not only the gospel, but his life. Paul wasn't just a Sunday Christian. He didn't just see his fellow church family on a Sunday. He saw them throughout the week. He shared his life. Paul wanted to be around his fellow brothers and sisters. This, this isn't just for the, the pastor and the leaders, but this is for us all as the body of Christ, the people who want to be faithful to Jesus. Most likely life is busy with family, with work, with things outside of church. But is there somebody or a few people in the church you are like a nursing mother to in the faith? Maybe this can't happen every week. But is there somebody in the church who you encourage, share your life with, push on in the faith? As believers, we need to be helping one another grow in the gospel of God. Firstly, we need to be encouraging somebody, and then also we need to have somebody encouraging us. I wonder, is there anyone in the church who you could intentionally meet up with to encourage in the gospel? Maybe that'll be something for you to think about. Who could I help follow Jesus? Who could I meet up with for a coffee or a walk or or have a phone call with to see how they are doing spiritually? And if this goes on throughout the church, this will be a church that shares the gospel and shares life together. What a picture that would be. This would be great to be encouraging each other to grow as Christians, helping each other to turn away from sin, helping each other through our struggles, and helping each other to keep our eyes on Jesus, who is our salvation Paul shows us the right manner to have around our brothers and sisters in Christ. We saw in verses 1 to 6, Paul outlined, being a faithful servant of Christ means to have our motives to please God. And now he tells us to be a faithful servant of Christ, our manner needs to be love for people, and in this context, love for the church family. But Paul continues in verses 9 to 12, And he talks about how hard he worked. Paul worked day and night so that he wouldn't be a burden to anyone as he shared the gospel with them. Paul here builds on verse five about greed. Paul was a tent maker and it seems like while he was in Thessalonica, he was also working in tent making alongside his ministry to the Thessalonians. Paul did this to show the Thessalonians, I'm not about myself. I'm not about money. I'm working so hard so that you can receive the gospel freely. And Paul continues in verse 10. You are witnesses and so is God of how holy, righteous and blameless we were among you who believed. The Thessalonians knew how great an example Paul was. Paul didn't just speak it, but he was living it. And he was living it before God and before people. Paul was a private and a public Christian. Paul has been talking about being a mother to these Thessalonians. Now he appeals to them being a father, verse 11. A father with his children, exhorting each one of them. Paul didn't just help one. He helped them all. He encouraged them all to walk in a manner worthy of God. Think about the order of the passage. Paul sought to have his motive, a motive that pleased God and called others to do the same. Paul wasn't calling others to do what was foreign to him, but Paul was actually living among them, pleasing God in his life. As Christians, if we want to be an example to, to other Christians, we need to show that our motive is to please God. This is a great challenge to us all. Is my motive actually to please God. Am I doing it for him? How can we call others to please God if pleasing God isn't actually something we seek to do? Last year, I, I became an uncle and I've spent time with my, as I've spent time with my nephew and niece, one thing is clear, they learn from imitation. If you are doing something, most of the time they will try to copy you. I'd say, do this, and then they try to do it. I'd say, say this, and they'd try to say it. And once they're doing something amazing, like nodding their head, you'd, get, you'd keep getting them to do it in front of the family. Children learn through imitation. And that's how Christians can learn too. As God's people, we can show the younger Christians what it means to follow Jesus, not in a perfect way, getting everything right all the time, but living in grace, living a life that shows Others, our aim is to treasure Christ over everything. Paul called people to live in a way that he was living. Paul called people to please God. When we live pleasing to God, by our example, we outline to others how to please God. This should be our aim as Christians. And finally, to be a faithful servant of Christ, we need to have the right method. Thirdly, have the right method. Without the gospel, we can't please God and we can't truly love love others. This is Paul's mission. Look at the end of verse 2. We dared to tell you his gospel. See the middle of verse 4. We speak as those entrusted with the gospel. See the middle of verse 4, we speak, see, see the end of verse 8, we were delighted to share not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. And finally, the last part of verse 9, we worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. This is Paul's goal, to speak the gospel. He knows that speaking the gospel is how we please God and love one another. The gospel is the only method we have. There's nothing else we have. Yet the gospel is far more than we deserve. We be faithful in two ways. Firstly, we speak the gospel to unbelievers. And secondly, we speak the gospel to our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. To our unbeliever friends, family and work colleagues, we can give them hope through the gospel. We can tell them about God who offers life in Jesus. Even though we've all sinned, we've all done evil against the perfect father, he offers us forgiveness and life. We can tell them about Jesus dying on the cross and accomplishing salvation for all who turn and believe in him. We can tell them about God who delights to save anyone who comes to him. Whoever they are, whatever they've done, God accepts people in Jesus. We can plead with them to turn to Jesus who delivers people from the pit of hell through his life, death, and resurrection. We can talk about the satisfaction that Jesus gives and him alone. We can offer them eternal hope in Jesus, the one who saves. We can talk about the hope beyond the grave that we have in Jesus. We can talk about a greater life than looking to the next new car, the next new house, the next holiday, the new paycheck. No, to the unbeliever, we can give them Jesus, who gives eternal hope and joy, and they can be content in him. This is what our unbeliever friends and family work colleagues need to hear. And we can have the joy of giving that to them. And then to our church family, we speak the gospel to each other. We have the gospel that Christ has earned for us at the cross. He was willing to have the eternal communion with the Father cut off at the cross. He was forsaken for our sin so that in him we can be brought near. That Christ has given himself for our sins. He's paid our past present and future sins we can tell each other that through jesus when our week has been a failure spiritually we are met with grace we have forgiveness in him when we go to him if we sin jesus will forgive us when we stray from him in his kind discipline he brings us back to himself Through the gospel, we have a Father who is watching over our every moment and caring for us. We can tell one another, through faith in Jesus, we have the spirit of the living God working in us, giving us power to live a godly life. Through Christ, we are no longer under the dominion of sin. We can tell each other, through Christ, we not only escape judgment, but we're adopted into the family of the eternal Father. Through Christ, we can call God Our Father, the Father who has compassion on his children. Through Christ, God looks at us and he is well pleased. He no longer sees a wretched sinner, but he sees his beloved son. Through Christ, we have God, the all-knowing one, who sees every detail of our life, all the evil, yet he loves us the most. Through Christ, we can pass through the door of death with confidence that he will safely see us through. This is the gospel we need to be speaking to one another, uh, to help each other follow Jesus. This is a method that Paul used, and this is a method that we too can use to love one another and please God. So as I, as I conclude today, we've seen our motive should be to please God as we speak the gospel to others. We've seen that our manner towards others in the church should be love. And sharing our lives together. And last week, we saw how we can do that by speaking and living the gospel out together as the family of God. This is how we be a faithful servant of Christ, motivated to please God, living our church life in a manner of love through speaking and living the gospel to one another as Christ's people. We're now going to remind each other of the gospel as we sing and also as we prepare our hearts ready to partake of the Lord's Supper. Let's, let's stand together and let's sing the mystery of the cross. <coughs>
1: Jesus, thank you. Watch your enemy now seated at your table. Jesus. Completely satisfied, Jesus saved you. Once your enemy, now seated at your table.